Hello everyone, welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Akash, you can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. And I'm Ian, and you can find me at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. We're here to break down week nine, look at some season-long trends, identify some buys and sells as well for Dynasty, and break down metrics and stats from the season and from the weeks. So just started off, jump in immediately with the Thursday night game from last week. We had the Jets against the Colts. Uh, since the bye week, Elijah Moore has uh, around 17 points per game. He's had a couple of touchdowns bolster that, but it's on a 14% target share. It, I know it seems like his points per game is too high for his target share, and it probably is, but it's not any reason to uh, worry about it and think that it's low because it lines up with a lot of other good beta wide receivers in their rookie seasons like Calvin Ridley, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Tyler Boyd, Deshaun Jackson, Percy Harvin. This is a good career trajectory for Elijah Moore. I'm, I'm happy to see it. Um, Michael Carter and Ty Johnson came back down to earth without Mike White, who left early in the game. Uh, we know that a lot of RB targets depend on the quarterback because some quarterbacks just like checking down more. And we had an idea that Carter's recent, recent explosion was in part due to Mike White being checked down Charlie, but without White, Carter suffered um, with Wilson. Carter's target share has been around 8% to 10%, which is pretty good for a rookie running back. He's splitting uh, carries with Ty Johnson, like a 60, 40, or 70, 30 split. Long-term, there's probably some concerns about if he can be a starter because we know that these uh, day three guys can get replaced pretty easily by the teams. I think that their 2022 RB1 isn't on the team right now, but for the rest of the season, uh, Michael Carter's probably a low RB2 or a high RB3. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think we nailed um, what was going on with Michael Carter those couple weeks right on the head because Mike White left, and he was left with 3.8% target share on the week, like you said. So I think we kind of nailed that one. And then looking at Indianapolis in this game, uh, Jonathan Taylor just ran all over these guys. Um, he's RB5 on the year in points per game on 61.9% opportunity and 10.1% target share, which – really says a lot about his talent because that is good usage, but to get high-end fantasy RB production with that usage just means you're that talented. And then looking at Wentz, he's been serviceable. He's a 69.6 on the season, so he's kind of playing like a Jimmy Garoppolo, one would say. He's, he's being a serviceable quarterback for someone like Pittman to explode because they're not passing in a crazy low amount of times. And Pittman still 24.7% target share on the season, 2.22 yards per team pass attempt, and wide receiver 16 on the season. Um, I did have a thing on Michael Pittman where you posted a poll about how he's worth. Uh, would you take that or an early first? And their match, uh, they seem to match up in terms of assets that for early first and Michael Pittman seem to match up on KTC right next to each other, keep trade cut. But I think. Because Pittman, there's not a lot of room to grow from wide receiver 13 on keep trade cut. And we know early first round picks um, will grow a ton. They, they'll grow considerable amounts until February, March, April when that pick is worth a lot. Especially a high first where you know you're going to get some studs in the draft. Because Pittman has been really good. But for him to automatically jump up to wide receiver 13 and keep trade cuts just a little aggressive for me. Yeah, he jumped up into the top 12 recently. Like, people are treating him as a wide receiver one. He's uh, producing well, playing well. The target share is a bit lower, and he's had some touchdown look over the last couple of weeks. I would personally I'd like to flip him into uh, like Deontay Johnson or T. Higgins. 
but that's just me. Like, I think that he can hover around like wide receiver. Like, there's a lot of fluidity in the tiers between like wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 18. It would seem there's a lot of movement in that range. So if you can move down and get like an extra pick or an extra player, it's always good in that range to get quantity over to get quantity over quality because there's a lot of uh, movement in opinions based on week to week performance. Next game, the Browns against the Bengals. Without Odell Beckham Jr., Baker had his best game of the season. This week in week nine, he had the second best PFF passing grade. He was third in completion percentage over expected. I'm firmly in the camp of Baker being a good player and good at throwing a football. Uh, the low volume obviously hurts. This is something that we've known for a while. Uh, Long term, I still buy talent. I'm still uh, buying that Baker's talented, so I'm buying Baker Mayfield. Uh, I just saw Drew post a thread on how if the, if a player is being held back by their situation and they're not reaching their full potential, then you should be buying that player. I think that's absolutely the case with Baker Mayfield. I think that I think his um his price on keep your cuts like QB twenty or something. It's pretty low. He's down guy. to like QB twenty three. That's crazy looked. for a guy that's been playing well since he entered the league, except for few games with Kitchens and OBJ. I don't, something just didn't click with OBJ and Baker Mayfield. I don't know what it was because normally when you put two good players together, they perform really well. But for some reason, it didn't work for them. But now they're separated. I think it's arrows up for both of them. Um, but in without OBJ this week, Jarvis Landry was the wide receiver one. Obviously, he's in the slot a lot. He had a 26% target share. He's a 25% target share or higher in three out of four of his healthy games, but it's really, really hard to like in a low volume offense with an average depth of target of 7.9. It's just very little upside. Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz operating as the as a wide receiver two, uh, like they had 15 and 16 routes respectively, 65% route participation, 70% route participation. They're uh, both on the field. I would You can take shots on both of them in deep leagues. They're probably already rostered, but they're both just stashes. Uh, Demetric Felton, he was drafted, I think, as a RB wide receiver hybrid, but he's not being on, not being used a lot. But when he is on the field, he's being used a lot more as a wide receiver than RB. He's uh, 13 snaps at the RB position, but 59 at the wide receiver position. It doesn't matter for this year, but if you're stashing Felton or he's on waivers, you could look to maybe pick him up just because I, he's he very well maybe I don't know their slot receiver of the future. Who knows, Jarvis Landry. There's a uh, very little money committed to him long term. They can get out pretty easily. All the tight ends are just a mess. A mess. They've run 50% routes or less this week. I'm not interested. They're gross. I like Harrison Bryant as a deep dicey sleeper, but really nothing I like. Yeah, I did think it was funny this week that Mayfield posted his best PFF passing grade of the season at 87.7, and it came just after his breakup with OBJ. It's clearly not the only game that OBJ missed this season, but just kind of an interesting wrinkle, I would say. Well, weeks, kind of weeks one through three, he was playing pretty well. And yeah. OBJ, OBJ played in week three, but then with OBJ, it's really just been bad. It's like a stark contrast in, how, in his performance with and without. Yeah, it's really quite odd, actually, but it's neither here nor there because we both think both players are talented, so it's just kind of a funny situation that wasn't working the way we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at Cincinnati in this matchup, who got absolutely blown out, um, Joe Burrow is still good. There's definitely no reason to panic, and I don't think really many's panic because we haven't seen his value drop off or anything like that after this game. 
which it shouldn't, but 85 PFF pass grade on the season ranks eighth amongst all passers, and he's throwing to some of the best weapons in the game and Chase, um, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, even Tyler Boyd. Like he, That's one of the reasons why uh, Drew would always say, or still says, you're too low on Joe Burrow because he has other weapons and he's a good passer. And we're finally seeing an uptick in pass attempts, which is something that we really want to see in an offense with this many studs. Uh, Chase last week, 31.7% target share. Like That is straight alpha. It's really impressive to see, especially because we already know he's a prestigious rookie, but to do what he's doing right now is just insane. I looked over, because uh, he was a league winner prospect for me, and looking over all the league winner wide receiver prospects, he would only fall, if the season were 10 today and he finished with a 24.6% target share like he has, the only rookie wide receiver he would trail that's a league winner prospect, Odell Beckham Jr. And we know OBJ was valued as a wide receiver one or the wide receiver one for a long time. And I think that's exactly what we should expect with Jamar Chase. And the production is going to lead to a lot of wide receiver one, a lot of top five finishes. And I think someone else who can get in on that once everything starts clicking is T Higgins, 23.1% target share in the year. I think he actually increases a little bit from there. We're kind of seeing Tyler Boyd become the odd man out, which is to be expected. But since Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are both on the field alfing. It's it's become a hassle for Tyler Boyd to to find targets or earn targets because there's not a lot available once those two alphas get their share. He's still a good receiver. I think people may overreact eventually where he becomes underrated rather than overrated like he has been in the past. It just shows how quick um, situations can change. And then just touch up on Joe Mixon, RB8 in points per game, 73.6% opportunity share on the year. Just really good stuff, especially from someone who is injury prone, which is always funny for knocking someone. I know. It was always hilarious. All the Joe Mixon narratives all over the offseason. It finally suppressed his ADP, which led to me getting uh, some more of him, which is terrific because he's been playing so well this year. It just shows how... Uh, much uh, of RB production is really tied to how good the offense is. Sometimes, like when the offense gets better, uh, you can see RBs get better. Uh, there's obviously not uh, a huge impact, but it does help, obviously. And so Joe Mixon is uh, an RB1 when people are saying that he's bad at football. He's definitely not bad at football, and that's something that we've all been hammering throughout the entire offseason and this season, that the opportunity is terrific. Just go by the opportunity. Then uh, the next game, the Broncos against the Cowboys. I'm not concerned with the couple game sample of Sutton not doing as well with Judy on the field. I think Judy does take away some of the ceiling just because he and Tim Patrick are good wide receivers. I still think that Sutton, I'm not going to deviate from my takes just because of a couple games Sutton not doing well. I still think he's the best receiver there, but I would just hold him for now. Uh, 12% target share over the last couple weeks isn't ideal obviously but it's not something to panic about javante williams is still splitting with melvin gordon there's upside this season if melvin was to get hurt or if they suddenly decide to move on and phase him out throughout the rest of the season but i'm still expecting a continued split for the rest of the season uh barring any injuries or any odd circumstances uh but javante williams on the season has a juke rate of 34 percent which is absolutely terrific and courtesy of the roto fantasy football He's 12th in rushing yards over expected per attempt with a minimum of 30 carries. 
out of 66 running backs, which is absolutely fantastic. And his targets per route run at 20%, which shows his upside. He has bell cow upside. If you liked Cam Akers in the last offseason before the injury, you'll love Javante Williams this season because it's everything that we liked about Cam Akers, plus the fact that Javante Williams is running really, really well as a rookie running back. That's huge upside. Yeah, and to hit on your Sutton point one more time, there's no reason to veer off uh, from two bad games. Like, you don't see anyone backing off Mike Evans, despite being more prolific after some sub-10% target share game. So games are going to happen because there's a lot of variance, and I wouldn't blame it all on Judy because the biggest ceiling capper to Sutton is just this offense's volume when it comes to passing because we're seeing them continually throw it under 30 times a game. And when you have weapons like Judy, like Fant, like Sutton, it's really hard to get to get good production when they need they need targets and volume, and those aren't coming because of the whole offense not throwing a lot. So that's more of a ceiling capper than Judy being there himself, because we know that wide receivers can produce alongside each other. Yeah. Uh, looking at Dallas, which is another good reason to show that two wide receivers can produce alongside each other because we have cd lamb and amari cooper the cd is impressing though being the alpha on the team i don't think it's too far-fetched to have thought that at the beginning of the season because amari cooper has been someone who's a what we call a fake alpha where he sits around that 20 to 22 percent target share just year in year out this season's no different he's a 21.8 percent target share 1.91 yards per team pass attempt so he's good he's performing like a fake alpha on a good offense but it's CD with the 24% target share, which is borderline just alpha numbers, which is also really good to see from CD Lamb, whose kind of big knock was his size. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, RB10 on the season. There's a lot of volume to be had for him uh, on the season. 61.7% of the ops, 10.9% target share. That's kind of that good usage that I was talking about with Jonathan Taylor, where you have a good player and they get that kind of usage, they're going to produce rb1 numbers like ezekiel it's doing and then one more point on this offense because we did see blake jarwin go down on ir but it wasn't encouraging to see dalton schultz had a 12.8 percent target share this week with him out so i don't think if there are some people who were really liking dalton schultz and they loved him when blake jarwin's out i think you can tamper the brakes on that one yeah there's a it's like you said with just variance for dalton schultz you know sometimes you just have not great game on the season. I still expect some mid tight end one numbers. His um, target share is just going to be around that. Like over the season, I expect it to be like in the 16 to 20 percent range, which will lead to low tight end one numbers or high or like high tight end one numbers if you fall into the end zone enough times. Just because a lot, a lot of a uh, there's not a lot separating a high tight end one from a low tight end one, pretty much. But nothing yeah, else. His value will stay around the same range. Yeah, I think his value will be around there, but that doesn't change that he's still a wasteland tight end, which oh, is, definitely. I mean, you could start wasteland tight ends and especially ones that are in good offenses and I'll see like that 16 to 20% target share because there's not a lot of good tight ends. So it's definitely not bad production to have, but with Blake Jarwin being out, that doesn't catapult him out of the t- uh, tight end wasteland that there is. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely agree there. This is a bad game for the whole offense in general. Not something to worry about. Like the Dak miss on some throws, some garbage time touchdowns to uh, Malik Turner. I always get him and Malik Taylor confused. One's on the Packers, one's on the 
Cowboys. Neither of them really matter for them, <laughs> but they're both there. But yeah, not really a game that matters for Dallas. You can just write this one off, I think. Uh, the other team in Texas that writes every game off, the Texans played the Dolphins this week. Um, so normally, I know how the games go, but this is one that I didn't see it on Red Zone. I didn't care about it. So I just looked at the uh, what happened in the game, and Cooks is still a... Uh, by low, he has a um, 30% target share or higher in five out of nine of his games this year. That is pretty elite range. That's like only a few wide receivers can say that on the year. This week, I uh, only connected on less than half of his 13 targets, but still 13 targets. That's terrific volume. There's just going to be volume and key questions for the rest of the year, which makes him a buy just because whenever your situation is holding a player back, it makes them a buy. He still sees a tremendous target share. Great upside. Uh, Nico Collins, I think, is a stash in really deep leagues, probably rostered in dynasty leagues, but uh, 77% route participation this week, 65% in every week since returning from his injury. His only real competition for the wide receiver two role is Danny Amendola. I think Nico Collins is uh, pushing him aside. Uh, it's not a feat to push Danny Amendola aside, but when you're on the field, it lends itself to more opportunities. It's better than not getting on the field, so... I think he's a decent stash in case he makes some plays or ends up seeing more targets. But on the backfield, this is the worst backfield ever. David Johnson has some receiving work. Some He sees a decent amount of routes, but really nothing else I care about just because this uh, bunch of inefficient rushers who split the volume all the time. And sometimes they all see less than 50% of the snaps. Less than Sometimes I see 30%, 20%. This is not an offense, uh, like a backfield that I care about for fantasy football. Yes, yeah, it definitely was not a good game because we already know that Houston's, in fact, not very friendly for fantasy. And then we have Miami on the other side who decided they weren't going to play with Tua, no Devontae Parker, no Will Fuller. So what that led to was a 25.6% target share from Waddle. And the encouraging part was to see a 9.8A dot because we know right now that Waddle's 6.5A dot on the season is pretty concerning because despite getting targets they're not exactly being earned because when they're closer to the line of scrimmage they're more likely to be manufactured but seeing a 25.6 percent target share last week on a healthy a dot is really encouraging to see from someone like jalen waddle who there is that red flag about how far his targets are from the line of scrimmage and how fantasy friendly his targets really are and then gaskin was the other piece in this game 86.7% of the ops, 15.4% of the target share. That's the high-end usage that Gaskin uh, is capable of getting any given week. And that's exactly why, when, as contenders, you pay like late seconds to get someone like a Miles Gaskin because they're locked into this high-usage role. So someone, someone that you should have as a contender. Uh, it's hard to now because most of them are already on contenders. But yeah, when... In the offseason, when you get a veteran like this who's not being replaced and has shown that he can get the usage like he did last year, well, not veteran, but not a high-end, high high rookie pick, someone later who we see get the usage, for them not to add anyone and then expect it not to carry on is, is kind of asinine. Yeah, him and Michael Carter have very similar usage. They're both receiving backs. They're both not uh they both have okay size they're just on the border of like the size that we want to see for some decent like rb2 numbers they're both good receivers they both have job security questions for 2022 but gaskin is a lot lot cheaper so 
it's like the same thing, but one is a rookie that everyone was a lot higher on at the beginning of the season, and one was a guy that a lot of people wrote off just because they were at Malcolm Brown, and, and that made people disinterested for some reason. But nonetheless, Gaskin is an RB2 for the rest of the season and a cheap buy for contenders. Next game, the Falcons versus Saints. Very happy that the Falcons won this one. It's terrific. Cordero Patterson is now my favorite player in the NFL just because he clutched up on that game. Uh, speaking of Patterson, he's getting used as a wide receiver, 45% of his snaps pretty much um, in games that Ridley's missed, including this one. It's extremely encouraging or ter- it's uh, ex- extremely encouraging because this was, this is basically cheat code usage. It's like a Konami code for RBs when they're used as a wide receiver this much. And for this on the season, it's going to lead to RB1 numbers. It's the cheapest RB1 that you can find in all of fantasy football. You start him at wide receiver, depending on your platform. If you need to, it's just a tremendous buy at like wide receiver 40 or RB40 uh, prices for Cordero Patterson for a win now team. Uh, Matt Ryan uh, is the QB. I, I don't know some people don't know his what, what he's gonna what's gonna happen with him, but I think he's a QB for 2022 and maybe beyond. The contract makes it hard for him them the Falcons to. The contract makes it hard for the Falcons to move on. Uh, they have an out, but it results in a lot of dead cap. In weeks one and two, we brought up that his average depth of target was really bad. It was second last in the NFL. We got worried. He wasn't producing well. But since then, weeks three to nine, he is a very normal 7.8 average depth of target. Leads all QBs in EPA plus uh, completion percentage over expected composite and PFF passing grade, which is phenomenal. He's playing really well. Kyle Pitts has a 22% target share in games without Calvin Ridley. He's going to end up as a top five tight end. He's already catapulting up fantasy ranks. I don't think he's a, I think his upside is tremendous. I know some people have to keep pursuing him. I I don't know. It, it's a, you have to detach emotion from fantasy football, but the upside is just so high for Kyle Pitts that uh, I wouldn't sell just yet. You can maybe see if he, if over the off season, his price rate like rises to top five, maybe I'll consider it. But for right now, I'm still loving Kyle Pitts usage right now. Yeah, I'm just holding Kyle Pitts because he's just having a historic rookie season. So, and we're not seeing him in the top five overall, which for a tight end is already pretty crazy. Yeah, so but if something like that were to happen, I guess it could be yeah. a question. But right now, there's there's really no need to sell, especially. I know, I know like some people don't like it when you call him a wide receiver, but he is lining up like one a lot. And if you treat him as such and look at his target share, it's comparable to not only to it's comparable to no good uh, tight end seasons, right? Because there are no tight end who's ever had this kind of season as a rookie. But if you compare him to rookie wide receivers, it gives you an immense ceiling. So, yeah. And for someone like that at tight end, which is something we need in fantasy, which is because we don't care about tight ends blocking. So a tight end that can line up, like you said, and is producing like a high end rookie wide receiver is something we love to see. Yeah. Looking at new Orleans though, they really don't have any receiving minus Alvin Kamara. And when we look at Alvin Kamara, since uh, Ingram joined the offense, the first seven weeks, it was 77.4% of the ops, 22.4% target share. And now we're looking at 60.6% of the ops and 14.3% target share. I still think he gets um, a lion's share of receiving work, but 
I don't think it's crazy to think that his op share of 77.4% once Ingram joined the joined the offense was bound to go down because the problem with Kamara was that there was no one that they trusted behind him, and they usually don't like having Kamara run. So when they had someone who's been in the system before and they liked him, it's not crazy to see that the carries are going down for him. And be, because of that, we're seeing a few less targets because he's not on the field as much, but it still wheels up for Alvin Kamara. We've seen him with Ingram before and know just how talented he is. And when the other leading receiver is Marquez Callaway and Deontay Harris, it really shouldn't scare you off. It's just an interesting thing to see and something that we should have expected or did expect when Ingram joined. And just to talk about how bad the receiving it is on this team, not a single player on this team has a 20% target share on the season. The highest non-Alvin Kamara player is Marquez Callaway at 15.9%. So just not great to see. Wow, that is bad. I didn't know it was that bad, but I expected it to be that bad. Their weapons without Michael Thomas are absolutely horrible. There are rumors that OBJ could is could be signing with them. Like these, they're they're in the running to sign OBJ. I should say it's not confirmed that they're the guys, but it's also the Packers and the Patriots. So you monitor that because if OBJ lands there, he's I think at the worst like a top thirty-six wide receiver again, and probably could easily be a top 24 wide receiver again just because there's no one else and he's a really talented wide receiver and he'll become i don't know some somewhat of a relative target funnel compared to uh his last years in cleveland but um i i will say that i think it's worth monitoring the qb situation for the saints just because trevor simeon is a bad qb we can safely say and if they do decide to roll with Taysom hill i don't know why they rolled with Simeon. Maybe it was because Hill was coming off of concussion protocol. They didn't want to immediately throw him out there as the starting QB. But uh, if they do move to Taysom Hill, he throws he threw to running backs a lot less when he started his four games last year. So it's just something to monitor because I think that could take away some of the floor for Alvin Kamara and maybe the ceiling too. The uh, next game, the Las Vegas Raiders against the New York Giants. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is getting signed to replace Henry Ruggs, I guess. They cut Henry Ruggs after the uh, DUI and DUI resulting in death incident. So with the Deshaun Jackson signing, he's probably still got burst. Otherwise, why would a team sign him if he was washed up completely? So the offense probably looks the same, probably acts as a starting wide receiver there, I think, just because they won't roll out Zay Jones. Um, Waller had 24% target share this game. I know he had 11 targets, which people were saying, his most targets since week one without Henry Ruggs is going to be so much better, but his target share this week wasn't that much different from his target share on the season, which is 25%. So I'm still just expecting similar production for Darren Waller, like 14, uh, 14 to 16 points per game. Jacobs is an RB2. The receiving usage is it's decent. It's a 9% target share. It's very similar to last year. Uh, Kenyon Drake's like a Walmart version of Kareem Hunt. He has five plus targets in half of his games this year, so just something to consider there. Like he's a desperate flex play if you really need it. Cause sometimes he's just getting targeted a lot. So looking at the New York giants here, if we are talking about running backs, because we saw Devontae Booker get a full workload with Saquon uh, Barkley out, we saw what they did when Saquon Barkley was in and they used him a lot and he's already prolific talent. And we know what talent can do with an opportunity share. They can make it, uh, high-end production and they don't have to rely on it as much because they're just so talented 
So we have players or running backs with a 70% opportunity share and a 12% target share. We get DeAndre Swift, Najee Harris, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Dave McCovery. And among those five, Saquon Barkley is the fourth highest value on keep trade cut. And he's closer to David Montgomery in value than he is to uh, DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris. And it might even be a Alvin Kamara who's RB5 and Saquon's an RB9. So it's something where you should be buying Saquon because there's all that talent and they absolutely use him. The usage is just insane. You shouldn't worry about injury prone. I mean, I just hit earlier on how Joe Mixon is kind of making everyone that said injury prone is a real thing, kind of look a little foolish because he's finishing as a middling RB1, and we know that Saquon can finish as a high-end RB1. You just have to get rid of the injuries first. But looking at players who played, it was really weird to see Kyle Rudolph was the leading target um, earner in this game, 29.4% target share, which is just really weird. And Jones is coming back down from a really hot start. He's starting to play a lot more like he did last year. Last year, he had a 74.4 PFF passing grade this week or this year at 73. So it's looking really similar to last year. The Galladay experiment isn't exactly working. I mean, last game, 11.8% target share. That's that's brutal. And then Canaries Tony, 5.9%. I mean, the, the weapons they're adding just aren't exactly producing. I mean, it's Sterling Shepard, and he's not even healthy right now as the only person with a 20% target share that's on this team. So the players that they brought in are just not making an impact. Yeah, and um, Evan Ingram. On key fair cut, Ingram is lower than guys like Tyler Conklin, uh, Donald Parham, other players like uh, CJ Uzama. It's, what, are you, what are you doing? Uh, Ingram has a terrific history of producing as a mid-tight end one or low-tight end one at worst, and people have soured on him so quickly. I know he hasn't been terrific to start the year, but – He's made some plays, earned some targets. Not as good as his previous years, but he's a free agent after this year. I really do think he gets signed to be a, a decent contributor to a team. And from there, I think we could see him go back to being a low tight end one. Or at very worst, a high tight end two. And that's yeah. a lot better than I can say for CJ Uzama or Donald Parham's outlook or Tyler Conklin's outlook. So I would like to, I, I'm probably going to go try to add more Evan Ingram over the course of the next couple weeks if people are just souring on him so quickly. Yeah, I've, I have a good amount of shares of Evan Ingram because he's essentially free. Like when you talk about people like CJ Zonham and Darnold Parham, guys who just likely won't increase in value and are so low in value that he's just hanging around there with them. Like we've seen Evan Ingram produce. I mean, this is his worst season to date in terms of earning targets and being a true talent. So. He's definitely someone you should look into buying for basically nothing. Yeah, Sigo Uzama is, what, 20? I know he's in, like, his sixth season, right? He's 28, coming off an Achilles injury last year. He's made some plays, got a couple long touchdowns, a couple broken plays, but why are people valuing CJ Uzama higher than Evan Ingram? It just it blows my mind. I'm going to go – you should probably go buy a low on Evan Ingram just because if, even if you don't like him, you have to ad- admit to yourself that – He's had a decent history of production, and he's a former first-rounder. He's a guy that, I don't know, teams inquired about him before the deadline. He's a guy probably going to get a decent deal in free agency, so leads to more opportunity than a guy like Seiju Uzama, who's the fourth target on his team or fifth target on his team. At the worst, you should like him more than Seiju Uzama. The next game, the Patriots against the Panthers. Over the last five weeks, Damian Harris was a bit banged up through the first couple weeks, but 
over the last five weeks, the Patriots are dead last in neutral pass frequency, which just hurts everyone. Jacoby Myers is still seeing like a 24% target share, but he's really just like a wide receiver three or four when with uh, this horrible volume. And no one else is startable. Johnny Smith only ran four routes this week. They're, I don't know. He's not. He's barely on the field. When he is on the field, they're asking him to block more than he's. Then they're asking him to catch passes. Hunter Henry. He's had. He had a couple good games with a touchdown, but he's really not startable. Uh, Damian Harris is probably. He's a good sell just because he's a low upside player. Doesn't have much much receiving work. He's being used less in the receiving game than guys like Brandon Bolden, Ramondre Stevenson. So they really don't want to use him as a receiver, even though he's a, he's the best running back they have. He has a touchdown every game, probably isn't sustainable. There's a lower floor. Arby's can get injured. They can get replaced. Um, Damian Harris isn't some established stud. So if you can sell him at like wide, uh, RB 24 ish prices for guys, like if you can add a, a little bit to move up to like a Josh Jacobs or add a little bit to get to, or like you could even get a pick, um, if you want to downgrade to Miles Sanders, who's lower in value, so, or if you want to get a, another wide receiver for him, there's a lot of options that you have for selling Damian Harris, who has a probably a low floor and it definitely has a low ceiling. Yeah, I agree with all that. The thing with Damian Harris, like you said, is he just doesn't catch passes, and so if he's not falling in the end zone, which is something you definitely can't rely on, then he's not very productive for you. And for someone like Miles Sanders, who actually gets good usage, he's not the most talented back. But when he's a 60% op share guy and a 12% target share guy, you and you could trade and get a pick using Damian Harris for him, that's that's definitely a move that you should be making. And then looking at Carolina in this New England uh, game, Darnold now has three games with a under 50 PFF grade, which is really, really not good. And it's funny now to see, see the masses like, oh, can't believe what just happened to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, what do I do with him after buying for a first? Because he was worth a first at the beginning of the year because people are choosing three-game sample sizes over four years, three, four-year sample sizes. So that's true for a lot of things, but Sam Darnold's just the newest, the newest member to crash of that. And then looking at Christian McCaffrey, who just came back, he came back to a 59.4% op share, 17.2% target share, just – Extremely good usage. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is likely the RB1 uh, rest of season if he stays healthy. Uh, DJ Moore in this, though, straight alpha, 29.3% on the season. It's just when you have Sam Donald throwing and they aren't getting a lot of touchdowns, it's hard for DJ Moore or even just Sam Donald throwing for yards. It's hard for DJ Moore to get going despite earning such a high target share. And he's someone like Terry McLaurin, who, because of quarterbacks, are always going to be a vibe because they're this perennial talent that will produce. They just have an offense that isn't allowing their fantasy numbers to blossom into the elite of the elite, like their profile says they should. And then just one more piece on Carolina. Uh, Terrace Marshall Jr. is just not earning targets whatsoever or producing. And I, I don't think you're wrong for panicking, but... Still think he's a hold if you have him because what exactly are you selling him for? What's the right price? I mean, we want to see the full rookie landscape when it or full rookie scope when it comes to a guy like Terrace Marshall Jr. because we want to predict what's going to happen. He's likely a face planner, but I'd just hold. Yeah, if you can um, get like a mid to late second and then get Marshall in a third, get a third just as a throw in, maybe you don't even 
ask for a third. If they give it, if they say yes, take it, but don't haggle over a third round pick. Do that because if he face plants, you could probably still sell him for a second or give a third and get give a third and Marshall and get a second, which really isn't that much of a that that really isn't that much to give up if he does face plant and there's still upside for the rest of the season just because we're only halfway through the year. He, he was in concussion protocol. The QB is bad. The, the offense is bad. So it's truly really a lot of bad things surrounding his situation as well as his uh, inability to command targets right now. So there's still definite upside, and I wouldn't over. I wouldn't start panicking now. That could come after the season. And I really don't think his value changes that much from now to the end of the season if he continues to play this way. People just keep moving him. A little bit more down the ranks, but there's still definitely upside that I'm be I'd be willing to pay a mid to late second for, especially when this class looks like it's gonna probably have very little appealing prospects after like the two two oh two to the two oh four range. So if you can give a pick after that to get Marshall, I would probably be into that. And now with Sam Darnold likely to miss a few weeks, they're going to PJ Walker, who if you look at EPA per play and completion percentage over expected uh graphs he's like in the bottom left corner and he's one of the worst qbs to start over the last couple of years and so it, this offense is going to be really limited and so over the next couple of weeks if you can use that to buy some dj Moore, i'm absolutely taking advantage of that next game the buffalo bills against the jacksonville jaguars really bad game for the buffalo offense not something to worry about Manuel Sanders over the last few weeks has consistently had more routes than Stefan Diggs. It's a, he's a good win now target in what's normally a really good high volume offense. So it's not something that I'm really that worried for Stefan Diggs just because we know he's a good player, but his target around the year is so probably just around like 23, 24%, which isn't ideal. It's going to, I think he finishes like a, a wide receiver two. So when you expect him to be a high end wide receiver one going to the season, that's not that's uh, not ideal. You can maybe look to move on from him to if you want to get younger, if you want to rebuild. But I'm not panicking on him just because we've seen him be productive week after week, and not really any ceiling games yet, but they'll come. Um, Moss is in concussion protocol, I believe, if I remember correctly. Singletary is probably an RB2 without him just because he's getting good uses to passing game. He'll get the rushing work, uh, 63% route participation in the game when Moss left early. So he needs to start Devin Singletary, then I wouldn't be too afraid to do so. Yeah, and then this was kind of a real doozy of a fantasy game because there just wasn't very much offense. Um, but looking uh, at Jacksonville Jaguars in terms of like a season-long scope, uh, Visca on the season, 6.7 ADOT and 20.4% target share, which the ADOT was the concern coming in, and it doesn't help that he's basically matching exactly what he did his rookie year in terms of ADOT, 6.6 last year. The good thing is his target share has gone up. It's gone up just under 6%, um, but the value's clearly dropped. He's someone that I'm holding. He clearly has a low ceiling because the ADOT problems are ADOT problems and they, they're they hard to predict when they'll go away and they likely aren't going away because we just saw from rookie to sophomore season, it's basically the same LaVisca. But he's someone I'm holding because there are brighter days ahead. This offense will be better. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is still a rookie quarterback. He's going to have some good games like he's had, and he's going to have some games where he has 52.4 PFF grade like he did last week. Um, 
but the offense will be better hopefully with a better T law. And then I think Visca's value will at least start to rise to a part where you can be comfortable with, or you can sell, but now is definitely the time that you're holding because you don't want to take this, this crazy sunk cost um, on him when he's really not that bad of a talent. He's just a low ceiling player. Yeah. And I believe that um, Dan Arnold is leading them, leading the team in targets since they traded for him, which is absolutely amazing to see for me, a guy who stashed a bunch of Dan Arnold uh, over the offseason. Not for any reason, just because he's an athletic former wide receiver. But I had a lot of him in Dynasty, so it's good to see him get some usage. He's probably um, a high tight end two for this season, just because target share is usable for fantasy. So I'm really excited to see uh, Bench Dash develop into a starting option. Dan Arnold's another guy. Um, I hate to say it, but you know he's another guy higher than Evan Ingram in keep your cut ranking. So maybe that's a move you can make uh, just because one's doing well, came out of nowhere, and then another's not doing well, but has a better history of production. The Minnesota game, um, this Dalvin Cook situation that came out earlier today is really weird. I don't know. I'm obviously going to wait for a lot more details before saying anything about it, but if Dalvin Cook was to miss time, Madison is an RB1 because he'll, he sees tremendous volume while Dalvin Cook doesn't play. So if he if Dalvin Cook does miss time, then Madison's probably an RB1, but he's also probably a sell in Dynasty just because if you can get a first out of him or even like mid to late second, uh, 22 first or even any 23 first, that's a terrific deal that you can make just because Madison for the long term probably isn't going to be um, worth that or an RB1 uh, in the long term. But uh, jo- Justin Jefferson's had a couple down weeks. I wouldn't worry about it on the season. He still has a 25% um, target share, 16.6 points per game, really nothing to worry about. Justin Jefferson who's had a couple down weeks. Uh, Adam Thielen's still a decent trade target just because he has a high week-to-week ceiling. He's a, a lot of red zone uh, targets. He's a wide receiver two or to a wide receiver three just because touchdown variance. He he has upside as a low wide receiver one just because just because of his resident usage. But um, he's another good uh, win now target because his price is so depreciated because he's obviously hit that age curve. Yeah, and then speaking of running backs on the other side, do you remember Tyson Williams and when you could get a second round pick for him? And now he gets snaps, but he has a zero. He had a zero percent opportunity share last week. And things are just not looking great. So it just goes to show that if you can flip running backs for a second, especially ones that have no production uh, or track record of production for seconds, you always do it because right now you'd probably be lucky to get a fourth round pick for them. But the backfield here is still just really gross splits between there's no Latavius Murray. So Devontae Freeman saw about 50% of the ops and Le'Veon Bell saw about 30 plus percent of the ops. So just and they don't see targets from Lamar Jackson, so it's really non-sexy. It's it's just a backfield that you want to avoid, in my opinion. And then uh, their wide receivers and their pass catchers, Marquise Brown, twenty nine point three percent target share in Week Nine and a twenty four point six percent on the season, so he's acting as the Ravens' alpha. And uh, I remember in the offseason kind of comparing him and Deontay's profile, and it didn't make sense because their value was so far apart. And now we're seeing both of them be alphas on their team, and their keep trade cut value is much closer than it was at the very beginning of the season when people are just very down on Marquise Brown. So it's really good to see. 
And then Rashad Bateman, he's he had a 19.5% target share, 1.27 yards per team pass attempt in week nine, which is really good to see. And through his four games on the season, a 13.3% target share, 1.07 yards per team pass attempt. I mean, he's right on track for being or having a good rookie season despite not or missing most of the early season. So it's really good to see that he's on track. And then Lamar Jackson, just a cheat code. I mean, he's going to have lots of weeks like this. 30.6 uh, PPR, which was good for QB2. And then on the season, he's QB4 on the season. I mean, it's just Lamar being Lamar. Yeah. Um, on the Since Rashad Bateman came back uh, a few weeks ago, I believe that him, Hollywood, and Andrews have just under 80% of the team's total targets, which is terrific because uh, concentrated passing offense is amazing for fantasy football. And the volume is a lot better now that their RBs suck and Lamar is passing really well. So it, it's uh, I don't think it's entirely because their RBs are hurt, uh, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. I don't think it's entirely because they're hurt missing the entire season. I think it's also because Lamar Jackson is continually getting better as a passer. That uh, not only helps his upside for fantasy football, it also helps the upside of everyone else in that offense. Hollywood Brown is uh, on pace to be the Ravens' first wide receiver one season in like 20 plus years, which is hilarious, but also good to see because the volume's good and all three of these off of these weapons can be startable assets in fantasy football. The next game, the Chargers against the Eagles. Mike Williams, after week three, has had an A dot of 18, 15.5. 16.2, 14.0, and 13.4. I know uh, some people aren't worried about Mike Williams, but I think I definitely am just because this is the role that we saw him uh, be in for his first four seasons in the league. His people are still clinging to the to a three-week sample size, just like they did for Sam Darnold. People love their three-week sample sizes, but they're still clinging to the three-week sample size when he had a more expanded route tree, a lower A dot, and more production. And I would look to you can maybe cash out for prices of uh, between wide receiver twenty-four and wide receiver thirty. Uh, definitely not encouraging that his A dot has skyrocketed and the production has come down just because this is the Mike Williams of old. In that stretch, Keenan Allen has a twenty-eight percent target share uh, in three out of five of those games. And that's definitely a buy for contenders just because that leads to high-end wide receiver one numbers. A wide receiver 26 price in Dynasty. Herbert had a nice bounce back after a couple down weeks. This week he was first in collusion percentage over expected and expected points added per play. Uh, Herbert's still a top eight Dynasty quarterback and supporting terrific some terrific weapons. Eckler had a bit of a down week, still a top five running back. Um, the really only thing that I'm adjusting for this offense is moving Mike Williams down just because the role is changing. And um, when the role reverts back to what it was for four years, that's something you have to take note of, something you can't ignore. Yeah, I mean, Mike Williams is Mike Williams. It was really encouraging to see those first three weeks and we saw his A dot lower, which obviously helped him earn more targets and a higher target share. But at some point, you have to realize that Mike Williams is just being Mike Williams and you can't rely on a three-game sample size uh, to go off of for the reason that you like him. So... Looking at Philadelphia in this one, 17 pass attempts is just gross. Like, that is really gross. It's really hard to see a lot of production when you're passing that few of times. So even, like, Goddard and Devontae of 30-plus target shares in that week just aren't that productive because 17 pass attempts is really not that much. They're not eating 
a big pie. They're sharing a fat share of a really small pie, which is something you really don't like to see from offenses. But in terms of the metrics, Devontae Smith has been really good this season. A 25.2% target share, 2.08 yards per team pass attempt is like really good, especially for a beta and a, a kind of coin flip beta as he is in uh, Drew's rankings. I him as a low ceiling beta. So it's really good to see and really promising to see from him. And it's something that's good to see because we know that the options in this passing offense aren't good. So for him to be that much better than him in his rookie season is really good to see. And we've already hit on Miles Sanders, but 68.5% op share, 12.4% target shares is technical uh, averages, which are really good. And like we said, when you can trade Damian Harris back to get Miles Sanders plus like a third round pick or something, you should do it because this is the type of the type of volume and usage that you want to you want to chase, not a Damian Harris who doesn't who doesn't catch passes because we know that targets lead to production because targets eventually equal receptions, which equal points. And when you don't get those, it's you don't have much of a floor if you're not falling in the end zone. And then Hurts in this game, he's he's been all right. A 76.6 PFF on the season is not bad by any stretch. It's a really good improvement from last year. So it's going to be interesting because we know they're not tied to him because he doesn't have the draft capital. They're not doing well, so they're likely to have a top pick, which is why we see Hurts as this kind of questioned. I'm sure we see once production stops mattering, um, Jalen Hurts in the offseason will have value plummet because there's going to be skepticism. I mean, we see it every year with quarterbacks who are skepticism. Once the fantasy points stop coming in, like with Hurts, who's still QB8 on the season, thanks to his high-end Konami code. But once we see the production and fantasy points not mattering as we go into an offseason, and then it's filled with skepticism, like imagine it's already been bad for Jalen Hurts in terms of rumors and his job security question marks. Imagine what it'll be when they aren't playing games and fantasy points don't matter. So if you're not a contender, don't think you have Jalen Hurts who's a young quarterback, it's going to be a good thing because the value is going to fall in the offseason. That's almost a guarantee. Yeah. Um, for Miles for Miles Sanders, uh, you can trade Damian Harris down, but I was looking at the key trade cut rankings just now because I was thinking about Damian Harris and uh, other RBs in his range. If you can trade Damian Harris to get Leonard Fournette, I think that's a move that you should definitely make because Leonard Fournette, he's a uh, free agent after this year. For the rest of the season, he's going to see uh, RB1, low RB1 usage, but he's a free agent after this year. I could absolutely see him re-signing to be their workhorse again. Uh Ronald Jones also a free agent after this year. Uh, I think Giovanni Bernard too. And so Leonard Fournette, I think you could have two to three years of terrific production for a lower price than a lot of other RBs who were expected to see that production. And so you can trade Damon Harris, who has a low ceiling and probably a low floor for Leonard Fournette, who admittedly probably has a relatively low floor compared to other running backs who have his type of ceiling, but he does have a higher ceiling than a lot of RBs in his area of value a little little side note a little uh deviation from the topic but i just felt like that was important to note because we're still going to talk about leonard fournette every week even on tampa bay's bye week the next game the green bay packers game against the kansas city chiefs love's first start wasn't great but it was still his first start negative 3.6 completion percentage over expected is it wasn't great i'd still lean to maybe buying depending on the price because uh in Superflex, QBs matter, and he's a first former first-rounder. It's not like he's a second-rounder like 
uh, Drew Locke, who got cast aside really quickly. Although he wasn't a great prospect, they're probably they're going to be committed to him. They uh, spent a first rounder on him, which will lead to uh, usage eventually down the road. I think Rodgers leaves after this season just because the situation with his Packers aren't great. And so because he's a starting QB, you'll only see the price increase from now until he's probably starting next year. So if you can sell uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Jimmy Garoppolo to get him, I think that's a move that you should absolutely make. Rodgers, obviously, when he comes back, will be a boost to this offense. Adams had a 44% target share last week. Very good player, obviously. From weeks four to nine, AJ Dillon has 61 carries to Jones 75. So really looking like a 60-40-ish split, just doing some mental math. Jones receiving work still keeps him as an RB1, but it's probably not as high of a ceiling as we've seen in the previous years. Uh, it was really surprising this last game to see AJ Dillon have twice as many targets as Jones did because Jones's upside comes from the receiving work that he gets in a good offense because we already know he's not some high usage guy, rushing usage guy. So it does make sense. And it it is something that we entertained is that AJ Dillon is someone who could come in and take a Jamal Williams role where you see like 40% of the ops and you just don't see a lot of pass catching work, but Last week, it was, it was definitely interesting to see that A.J. Dillon was kind of the pass catching back over Jones. It's definitely not something that sticks, but it's something that's interesting to see. Kansas City, on the other side, Mahomes just still hasn't found it. 61.3 PFF grade in Week 9, and that's that's his highest since Week 6, where he had a 64.3. So it's, it's a really weird situation. I mean, I want to be able to look back and kind of see if we've had these situations before. I just haven't haven't got to it i guess or looked through it but 69.7 on the season that's 23 out of 35 but he's still qb 11 in points per game so it's still a good offense despite him not being exactly very good so far it's just really weird stuff to see from someone who's kind of been a generational producer at such a young age so i'm still confident he's going to find it i'm still confident and the Chiefs offense, because we've seen it for so long, I'm just trusting larger sample size. But, I mean, at some point, it's pretty weird what's going on with Patrick Mahomes because he's the one that's that's not producing. It's not the uh, other options on this team. Tyreek, 28.3% target share in the season. I mean, that's an absolute alpha share, and it's really good to see if you have Tyreek because for what we've known, especially over the year, these targets are very, very valuable. They just aren't as valuable as years past so and then kelsey's just performing like the beta 22.2 percent target share so it just made me question if they were switching roles this season or what's going on because usually we see kelsey has the alpha tyreek has the beta and it's just not the way it's gone this season it's mahomes hasn't been in mahomes this season so really really weird situation i think kelsey is um i don't think he's hitting the production curve yet in terms of production dipping because of age but i do think that his value will eventually start to fall a little bit because of his age because he's 31 and not having 20 points per game like he did last season it's like 16 now so i think eventually he'll start sliding down rankings for mahomes um i went to go check key trade cut to see like if how his value his value is falling so that i could say Go by law on Patrick Mahomes because the sample size of him being great for three years is a lot larger than the sample size of him not being great for the last couple of weeks. But his value on keep your cut for Superflex is still 999, which is the highest it can be. So obviously the masses are not panicking on Patrick Mahomes and neither should you because 
He's still a great player. We have a large sample size of him being elite, so don't worry about Mahomes. If you need to hear that, which it seems that the majority of people don't need to hear that because his value hasn't changed on key trade cut. But if you need to hear that, you're welcome. The Arizona Cardinals game against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, James Conner is a workhorse without Chase Edmonds. He, he wasn't running a lot of routes or seeing a lot of receiving work prior to the Edmonds injury, but Edmonds has suffered a high ankle sprain on the first play of the game. Probably, probably out for four to six weeks. Tough for his situation because high ankle sprains, not only does it keep him out for that period of time, it also impacts um, how uh, performance upon return. So the rest of the season, I really do think we see Chase Edmonds being limited. Um, probably not as much rushing work, probably not as effective in the rushing department, and really just not the Chase Edmonds we saw earlier in the season, who was an RB2, which just leads to Jim Connor, who can probably continue being some type of uh, workhorse, even when Edmonds comes back. But without Edmonds, he's going to be seeing RB1 usage, RB1 opportunity shares, um, obviously getting a lot of goal line work. And then now with more receiving work and a really good offense, it's hard not to like him. Uh, if he was your one of your targets in zero RB teams like he was for me, I think you just hit the jackpot because this is tremendous upside as we enter the playoff stretch. Rondo Moore has some chatter that he's a sell because of low ADA, but I wouldn't worry yet because we had we had him all all of us had him as a good prospect coming into the year. He's playing well in his first season. It's he's earning targets pretty well. He's not on the field all the time just because they they don't run as many four wide receiver sets and have normally they have AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins, but he's earning targets well in his first season. Kirk's a free agent after the season. AJ Green's a free agent after the season. I do think that this is not the time to sell. You can reevaluate at the end of the year. Maybe if Kirk and Green leave and uh, narratives start pushing his value up towards like wide receiver 24 or 20 range like they were like after your second game of the season. But then if you could sell for like a first, then I, I think you actually should take that because he's a low ceiling player, we believe, just because his ADOT is so low. Um, Kirk being a free agent after this year, I do think that... He could be viable for another team, have some uh, decent production that you can get relatively cheap now around like wide receiver 50 prices, which I like. But yeah, this is just a kind of a weird game where the offense didn't change, but even though they lost their best pass catcher and their quarterback, I'm just excited for to see what James Conner can do with increased opportunity. Yeah, I mean, they still beat up on San Francisco, which is kind of embarrassing for San Francisco, I would say. But uh, in this game, it was... Very good to see from the San Francisco side that Debo, 23.1% target share, Kittle, 20.5, and Ayuk, 20.5, which is a lot closer to what we expected it to be at the beginning of the season than what it's been. In the last two weeks, Ayuk, 22.7% target share, 1.97 yards per team pass attempt. Um, There's a point where even I was getting a little worried with Ayuk, but with his prolific rookie season and how good he was. And then these last two weeks, we're starting to see the Brandon Ayuk that we saw last year come out. I think it's people who people are selling because they think this is a good sell window for them. He's done a little bit. It's going to be easier to sell. And I think if you can get him for a mid second or anything like that, I, I would definitely like to do that because we saw how good Ayuk was last year, and we're kind of just seeing him hopefully flip the switch here. The signs have been encouraging. And when you can get him for a second-round pick, that's definitely a move that I would like to make. Um, Mitchell in this game, another re- really good thing to see was he had a 12.8% target share, and that's kind of been the thing with Mitchell is he's been really good on the ground, and the San Francisco run offense has been really good, uh, good on the ground. He's been the reason for that. 
or not the reason, but he's been the the recipient of that. But to see that he's involved in the pass game, at least last week, was just really encouraging signs and kind of wheels up for Mitchell the rest of the season. Yeah, for Ayuk, I do, I do think that I don't think you'll find a lot of people selling just because uh, people who had him probably invested in him at a lot higher prices over the offseason. And I don't think after a couple of good games, they probably weathered the storm or maybe even bought when he had the bad patch to start of the season. I don't think they would sell right when he's starting to heat up. But definitely if you can uh, still get him for that price, I think that's definitely something you should try to do because this is more of what we expected going into the year. And it's it's terrific to see because, you know, it's like we said with the um, the Ravens passing offense, uh, concentrated passing offense can uh, be good for all three options just because you have three good players in an offense doesn't mean that one of them dips below um, fantasy football relevance. Uh, you can see that offenses, uh, players earn a target share, um, players earn their target share. So if you have guys who all will earn above a 20% target share, you'll just see uh, all those players be fantasy football relevant, most likely. Then the uh, next game, the Titans against the Rams on Sunday football, crazy upset against the Rams. But in the first game without Henry, McNichols ran the most routes, had the most receiving work. This was expected, um, just like from uh, yards per carry, which isn't a great stat, but also just watching uh, Foreman, Deonta Foreman look better than Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson was horribly inefficient, didn't do much. He fell in the end zone, which was good if you started him, but he had like 10 carries for 21 yards. That's absolutely horrible. It's a, it's a really messy backfield. I wouldn't start anyone from it, especially not Adrian Peterson, who's probably going to need to fall into the end zone just to be relevant. Uh, if I'm starting anyone, uh, maybe McNichols is a desperate flex in really deep leagues or leagues where I have a lot of flex spots, but uh, Adrian Peterson's really, he's just like um, uh, the Ravens running backs where they're dusty and old, but they see opportunity and they don't see receiving work. And you just have to hope they fall into the end zone, which is really hard to count on. Adrian Brown had a 42% target share of this game, which was absolutely amazing. He's His target share has been terrific over the last few weeks. And it's a really small sample size of only one game, but this game, they were 12th in neutral pass frequency for the week. So if they're going to pass a lot more without Derrick Henry, it's something I'm absolutely excited to see because AJ Brown has a tremendous ceiling uh, with the rate he's earning targets and more offensive volume. Yeah, from the Rams' perspective, who really didn't play good at all. Uh, for what it's worth, it was Stafford's worst passing game of the season, but we know who Stafford is. I mean, he's shown us this year and the 12 other years of his career. So it's just one of those blips that's going to happen in the NFL, and it's definitely not something that you think about going into Week 10 or anything like that. And similarly to what I talked about or we talk about where everything will regress to the mean, especially when you get hot starts and slow starts, uh, Bobby Trees is currently a wide receiver too. Like he's been basically every season that he's been on the Rams. So regression is pretty funny how that works, especially when there's panic. Is Van Jefferson the new guy? Is Robert Woods? What's happened to Robert Woods? He's he's a wide receiver too on in points per game on the season. So Really not surprising because that's exactly where we expect him to be. But what we didn't expect was Target Hog Cup to be a real thing. And now we're through nine weeks. He had another week of a 30-plus percent target share. A 34.8% on the season is second only to Devontae Adams. So it looks like Cup is here to stay. But, if again, if you're not contending, Cup is someone who the profile and everything just doesn't make a lot of sense and there's not a lot of safety in it. So if you if you are not a clear cut contender and Cup's kind of been 
carrying you. He's someone that you could trade for a fortune, and I don't think you'll regret it. Um, but that being said, he's going to produce as a top top five, top ten wide receiver rest of season, most likely. Yeah, a lot of um, win now value is pumped up. I don't keep trade cut doesn't reflect this just because keep trade cut um, often heavily skews towards youth. But if if you're looking at win now teams and they have a young producer like um, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson. Probably not Jamar Chase just because of the start he's having, but uh, also DK Metcalf. If you can get uh, one of them for Cooper Cup, I can almost guarantee that they'll have more value at the end of the season, barring any like crazy injuries or any crazy dip in production, which we don't expect to happen. I can almost guarantee that those guys will have more value at the end of the season. So while the keep trade cut or other dynasty calculators might not say that that's a trade that most people take, Every league has their own individual value. It's worth looking into just because some team who's win now might understand the value of trying to win now and might slightly overpay to get a wide receiver who has insane production. Yeah, I love all those moves. I mean, even another one, if I could trade Cooper Cup to get DJ Moore plus a first, maybe. Terrific, yeah. yeah. Terry McLaurin as well. It's just some really good moves you can make just because right now both of their production is suppressed by their horrible situations. And we expect them to be, hopefully, we expect them to be a lot better producing when they have actual good QBs and actually good offenses. The Chicago Bears game, um, you know, a few weeks ago we said uh, don't panic on any of the rookies just because rookies tend to get better over the season. And we see that now over the last couple of weeks, Justin Fields is fourth in completion percentage over expected and second in PFF passing grade. Rookies obviously duh they get better as the season goes on as also has 18 rush attempts over the last couple weeks so redraft if someone dropped him i think he's definitely worth looking into to add just because there is some good uh, rushing floor and if he starts to pass well there's a good amount of ceiling Komet has a 19 percent target share he's tied in two for the rest of the season the offensive volume is bad but uh Komet's a guy i'm looking to possibly buy in dynasty just because his target share is really encouraging his second season. His value is being held down because the offense is bad, but it's a really good target share in his second season. Mooney on the year has a 25% target share. It's pretty encouraging. I had this debate with uh, Adaiko and Drew in the Discord the other day about Darnell Mooney. I think eventually he'll turn up as a buy, but I get their point of view of waiting, of not buying right now. I'd say that I would hold or float like, a mid to late second for him just because his peripherals at the end of the season um, will look like a strong buy if his price continues to be suppressed by this low volume offense like it is. And also Allen Robinson, they're all um, guys that their situation is probably going to get better going in, going into next year. Allen Robinson's a buy for 2022, not because uh, the offensive volume is going to get better for him, just because he's probably going to go to a new team next year. And we know he's a good player from his years of producing as a wide receiver one. I don't know why he's not commanding targets um, at the same rate he has over the last few years, but I'm still looking to buy him just because he has a tremendous history of production, a tremendous history of earning targets. And his price is just continually falling just because the production isn't there right now. And he's an older player. So people are, some people are looking to get out from him just because he's an older player who's not producing right now. Montgomery upon return had a 75% opportunity share. Uh, don't worry about Khalil Herbert. He's really a backup. Montgomery, maybe a strong buy. You had him in the conversation with um, like uh, guys with the, what was he said, like for the threshold for opportunity share and target share? Uh, 70% opportunity share plus and a 12% target share plus. 
There you go. That's that'll lead to at worst um low RB one numbers. And Montgomery's still valued as an RB two on KJ cut. You can uh, buy Montgomery. Uh he's still a workhorse. Yeah, he's he's may not be the most efficient back with what he does, but he's, he's getting player. he's getting a lot of usage and that's yeah, usage that's what matters in the receiving game as well, which is what really matters. And like like we both said, he's in that upper echelon of high usage players. Just like a guy on the opposite side of that game, Najee Harris. But Najee Harris just insane. A 91% opportunity share on the season is pretty ridiculous. You don't see that very often at all, especially from a rookie. And he's someone who's also, and even more so, not as efficient with it, which I, I've seen the argument a lot about um, Najee Harris, like produces and all this, and you know the debate that uh, he's not as talented. I think when you get to a value like Najee Harris has now, you're you're primed or it's fair to have even more so ridicule to it. So when he's not efficient with it, that makes you very less um, comfortable spending such high capital on a back that's not efficient with such high usage. But when you get later in value and you, the usage is there, even if they're not as efficient as a runner or a receiver or anything like that, then the usage is there and it's cheap. It's cheap production, but that's just not the case with Najee Harris, which is where I think the debate and the conversation kind of gets twisted is his value so high that he gets, he should be held to those, uh, those nitpicks or, or cause you're spending a ton of value, especially in a startup. He's like a first round startup guy, early second, like that's, that's a lot of capital. That's a lot of your team. So you want him to be really efficient with his usage, not, just that he's getting that usage. But um, another player on this offense who's kind of deserves some ridicule, at least for how high he's getting in value in terms to where he started, it's Pat Fryermuth. We're now seeing above Noah Fant, which is just crazy. Um, we've seen Fryermuth p- produce, but even on the year, 12.5% target share, 0.91 yards per team pass attempt is, I mean, that's wasteland tight end. It's good to see for a rookie, especially because, his profile really isn't that bad. It's actually a pretty solid profile. But you're talking about someone over Noah Fant who is on the track to be a really good tight end, and he's he's way closer than Frymuth is. And another thing for Frymuth is they haven't had Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron comes back week 10, I think you'll kind of start to see the buzz around him at least die down a little bit like it will with most rookie tight ends. I even saw someone today that give a late one to buy Fryermuth, and I was like, I would smash that. I would absolutely smash that because there's going to be a lot of times where you can get Fryermuth, especially in the offseason most likely, for a lot cheaper than a first. Yeah, Fryermuth is a guy that is really benefiting from Ebron being out just because he's on. He's being deployed so much more, but there's a good chance that they just um, – return to a 50-50 split in routes when Ebron's back. I don't think it's out of the question. The The value could definitely fall over the next few weeks just because of that. And I do think that Fryermuth's value, at least, his production, might uh, he might have like a good second-year leap or a third-year leap. But I think for now, his value in production is going to be at best like wasteland tight end. So I don't think that you can uh, project a huge value increase. I don't think you see much of a... Much of a production increase so there's really no reason to buy right now and i think the value is at a relative ceiling um and then looking at the wide receiver core deontay johnson 29.2 percent target share on the season clay pool 20.5 percent target share on the season which that's really not that much of an upgrade from 
what we saw Claypool last year in because he was a rather productive rookie. But I also still find it somewhat encouraging because that's still a 20% target share, and it's coming from a quarterback with such a low ADOT. And we know that Claypool isn't a low ADOT player. He's a 12 ADOT player. He's right on the cusp of that kind of sketchy downfield role without being in it. And Big Ben's just going to chuck down Charlie if you look at his ADOT. So it's not quite Mike White or anything like that or Colt McCoy, but Big Ben is someone who maybe with the quarterback change where we see the ADOT increase, we get more excited about someone like Chase Claypool because he's still 20% of targets, especially as a second-year player, is still a really good thing. Yeah, that is good. Wow. And then Deontay, he's a target hog. It's tremendous. Yeah, he really is. I would take um, I would take him over Debo, Godwin, and Pittman, who are all in the similar range of values. For what it's worth, so Godwin's producing as a wide receiver one right now, and he's valued as a wide receiver one. Yeah, I think he's he's someone that I really have no shares of. He's pretty Look, sketchy to me. I have one just because I got Keenan Allen. I traded Keenan Allen. I don't know how I pulled it off. I just straight up got Godwin for Keenan Allen, which is tremendous value bump. But Galvin's really, he's like um, a fake alpha that no one calls a fake alpha. But then once people start calling him a fake alpha, and then everyone will see because he's going to move on to a new team, I think. I don't know how the Bucks cap situation is. But yeah, his, high, his highest target share in his four years in the career, not counting this one's 21.7%. Right, exactly. And the only he's time just... he's more than wide receiver one, uh, more than wide receiver two numbers is, is uh, he's really efficient 2019. And this year, if he keeps it up, and if AB continues to not play, he'll end up as a wide receiver one most likely. But that's with an offense that's pacing for the most volume in the Tom Brady's pacing for the most pass attempts in NFL history. And he's also playing MVP caliber football. And that'll lead to an offense being really good, efficient, and high volume, which will support a lot of uh, fantasy opportunity. Definitely agreed with you there. Uh, he just he doesn't really profile as a wide receiver one. He's just in such an amazing situation, and at his age, I think it's why he has that wide receiver one value tag. I think he'd uh, I think he'd move him into a cell. I think because uh, I don't know. It's as we get into the offseason, we'll get more clarity on what's going to happen with him. If he's going to stay or if he's going to leave, I think his value takes a hit. Uh, his value and production takes a hit if he leaves, and uh, it's really hard to count on that just because the floor is a lot lower in terms of value but i think uh that spiel aside i think that about wraps it up for the week uh thank you for tuning into this episode of the r squared fantasy football podcast hopefully you enjoyed the episode uh if you did be sure to go down like subscribe follow if you're on streaming sites uh thank you for listening or watching and have a great rest of your rest of your week good luck have a good one